Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hey everyone and welcome to part 16 of Flourishing in Isolation. We are still exploring this incredible set of prison letters, those four books of the Bible written by Paul under house arrest. I want to encourage you, if you are new here and it's the first time you've joined us, to go back and listen to a few of the ones we've done in previous weeks, uh, either on iTunes or your podcast, whatever works for you on uh, YouTube. And we'd love to you to get involved and to learn with us as we go through a series. We're asking this question, what can we learn from these ancient scripts so that we can actually today flourish in isolation as we find ourselves at this time? Our circumstances are changing day by day, week by week. But we are still loving this opportunity to dig deeper into the Word of God. We'd love to hear from you. If you are enjoying this, experiencing it, and you're thinking, this is great, I'd love some more, do let us know. Uh, We're going to be finishing up in a few uh, weeks' time. We'd love to find out if this has been helpful to you and what we could learn as we go forward. And maybe there are different teaching methods we could use to develop these learning opportunities. But do get in touch with us. That'd be great. Last time we were together, uh, we learned how to flourish in isolation through the start of the book of Colossians, that our attention, our attention needs to remain focused on Jesus Christ. We talked about leaning into Jesus. It's his power, knowing that what he can do and his timing, what he can do, his wisdom, when he can do it, his love, how. He can do it. To lean into Jesus, lean to his power, his wisdom, his love. We also talked about that Jesus holds everything together. He makes sense of the world that we are part of. He holds us together. And that lastly, we learned that Jesus lives in us. We carry the same power, the same hope of glory, lives in each side of one of us when we choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard to follow such great learning from last time together, but we are going to get our Bibles open and get yourselves comfortable and uh, open up at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start reading from the beginning of that chapter. Colossians chapter 2 says these words, I want you to know how much I've agonised for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. Paul is writing at this time to the church in Colossae, and he's agonising, that word there, I'm agonising. Other versions would use the word contending or struggling or facing conflict. Um, This is a powerful word word that Paul is using there. He is agonising on behalf of the church in Colossae. He wants those reading this letter, he wants them to know how important that they are to him. For those he knows personally and those he's never met before, he said, look, for all of you, I've been agonising for you. I've been praying 
for you. I've been beseeching God on your behalf. Somebody once said many years ago to me when I started in church ministry, and these words are so true, is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And Paul is saying here to the people, I care about you. I'm interested in you. I've never been to see you. I, I don't know some of you personally, but I care about your circumstance. I care about this church that you have created. And he's telling them how much he cares. Before he starts giving them knowledge, he wants them to know that he cares about them. And remember that this book, Colossians, is written. It's a letter that's written to the church in Colossae. It's this young church. And it's starting to stray a little bit from the truth of who Jesus is. It's through maybe a lack of understanding or maybe just immaturity as followers of, of the way. And it's, But it's an exciting moment. This exciting opportunity for Paul to speak into, to challenge it, to help define this church in its development as a developing uh, community of believers. And Paul really cares for this church. He's saying at the beginning, this church which has been founded by his friend Epaphras, he said, I care about you. I've been agonizing over you. I'm interested in you. I'm committed to you at this time. And he said, I want you to be knitted together, to be as if you were one, to be a solid community that can gather and be united as one people. He doesn't want disagreements or disharmony. And he points people to the centerpiece of this whole letter. We learned about this last time, that Jesus is the one that unites all people together. He brings people back together. Jesus is the center theme for this book, this letter of Colossians. But he does also remind everyone it is a mysterious plan. This thing of, of having a faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ is a mysterious plan. Believing in Jesus requires faith to see something that we can't see, to believe in something we can't see. But as you keep Jesus central to everything you do, he's saying, you will discover many hidden treasures. It's a mystery, but there are some rewards for it. And, and not the typical rewards. You know, many different religions at that time would have offered you rewards of, of either long life or, or health or uh, good weather or abundant harvest. But he was saying, no, this, this God you serve will give you hidden treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And it will be better than all the things that glisten and twinkle that the world would offer to you. I'm offering you something really unique through this mysterious plan of faith. So Paul is writing this. He doesn't want this young and enthusiastic group of believers to be deceived by well-crafted arguments, he says, from non-believers of the way, for people who think differently. And this is the main theme here. At one level, Colossians is a really straightforward letter. Paul is trying to bring some correction and saying, right, here's what you need to understand. Jesus Lord, that's the main thing, and everything else comes second. Jesus, Lord, ignore the other religions. Jesus, Lord, ignore the other traditions. Jesus, Lord, ignore the rule of the state. Jesus, Lord, don't be fooled by clever words or by other arguments. Remember that Jesus is central to everything. That's a message we can learn in the church today and every day, that Jesus is at the centre. When we start to veer off, we lose our way. So Paul carries on in that introduction there, verse six, he carries on and says this about how we can have new life in Christ Jesus. And now he says this, verse six, now just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith 
will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness, overflow with thankfulness. That's a great image. That's a great sound. The idea of when you get yourself rooted and you put your life built on Jesus Christ, you will overflow with thankfulness. Your faith will grow strong on this truth you were taught. And here we see one of those hyperlinks we've mentioned before, that phrase, let your roots grow down into him, points us back towards the parable of the sower in a number of the Gospels, particularly in Matthew chapter 13. And that famous parable that Jesus told, he told the story about the farmer that went out sowing seed. Do you remember that one? And they were the, the, the message, the good news of Jesus was being shared like seeds scattered over fields. And some would fall on the pathway and snatched by the birds in verse 4 of Matthew 13. Some would fall on rocky soil and they wouldn't take root in verse 5 and 6. Some would fall amongst the thorns and they would grow, and but they'd get choked out in verse 7. And some would fall in fertile soil and they'd grow healthy, 30, 60, 100-fold growth from those that listened. And this, this analogy here of you know, letting your roots grow down is a reminder of those seeds in Matthew 13, verses five, it says those words, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Getting rooted into Christ takes time. Diligence, perseverance, process, not words our instant world loves to hear. Getting rooted is a commitment. It's intentional. It's disciplined. It's a daily decision to give our attention to God, even in the busiest moments of our lives. We choose to get rooted, to dig down, to cling on to this person called Jesus. And then he carries on and follows up with the words in, in Colossians. He says, and let your lives be built on him. Here comes another hyperlink. He's pointing at the parable of the, the wise and foolish builder. He's saying, are you placing yourself on Jesus, the rock, the foundation, the platform that is Jesus? You remember the story of the wise and foolish builders where one builds on sand and, and the house falls down under the first flood that comes their way, as opposed to the, the wise builder who built onto rock, onto stone, onto a hard surface. And Jesus the same in the parable he told this in Luke chapter 6. He said this in verse 47, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching and then follows it. Verse 48, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. Jesus saying there, if you listen to my teaching and you dig deep, you will stand firm like on solid rock. And Paul in this letter to the church in Colossae is saying the same things. He's saying, put your roots down deep, like the, the, the seeds in fertile soil. He's saying, set yourself on the firm foundation like the wise builder. Remember the stories Jesus told. You do that and you will be well. You will be good. The idea of standing strong requires that solid platform, that solid foundation. And when you grow into Christ, when you give your energy and your time, and it does take time, you will overflow 
with thankfulness. You'll grow strong and you'll be thankful. This Christian faith, which Paul is talking about here, is not about rules. It's about relationship. And relationships, good quality relationships, take time. It takes time. This week, I've celebrated being married to my wife, Lottie, for 24 years. We celebrated, went out for the day. It was great fun just to hang out and have go out, out, properly enjoy uh, the weather and to, to leave the home for a few hours and just to enjoy being together after 24 years. We've known each other since we were teenagers. We've been together more of our life than we've been apart and, and we know each other well. We live in the same house. We sleep in the same bed. We, we've got four children together. We know so much about each other. And yet I'm still learning about her. It's still a mystery. I'm still, I'm still learning so much about Lottie. But I'm also so thankful to be married to such an extraordinary and amazing person for such a long period of time. I'm growing in my relationship. It's taken a long time, but I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm thankful. And that's a very small analogy of what it's like to grow in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that is a progression over time. And it requires us to give it our attention, to grow our roots down and to stand on that firm foundation and to become intentional in our relationship with Jesus on a regular basis. Are we all good? We're still going? Fantastic. Verse eight in chapter two of Colossians. And Paul carries on with these words. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete with your union in Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's laying out there, you know, don't put your attention to empty philosophies. Christ is the head of everything. He's the head over every ruler, every authority. So whatever philosophy is being passed your way as truth, remember who really is the Lord over all. And we have to watch ourselves around human thinking. Recently, I taught in Freedom Church a series about the soul, looking at soul purpose. How can we be fully human? Where we understand the role of the soul and what God breathed into being. And, and when I started to research and look into what is the soul, what does the Bible say about the soul? I discovered there's a lot of human thinking out there. If you start Googling about the soul, you'll find all kinds of stuff. And it sounds convincing. It sounds quite good. It sounds quite plausible, but it's not always biblical. Might be bad, but it's not in the Bible. And just because something sounds good doesn't mean it is. And we have to watch ourselves around human thinking. We need to focus ourselves around Jesus Christ and his purposes. And one of the clues I always think is if, if something is human thinking, ultimately it's about self-centeredness, uh, centering itself around the self, about making self the most important thing. The human nature is always desperate to preserve self. It's that fight or flight instinct to go, I need to, to win for myself. I need to escape for myself. The human nature does that to us. But God, who created our soul, our innermost being, has designed us to be countercultural, 
to be self-sacrificial as modelled by Jesus himself in the ultimate sacrifice of death on a cross. The the Christian faith of Jesus at the centre, which is being reinforced here to the church in Colossae by Paul in this letter, is one of worship and of service, of worshipping God and serving others, of worshipping God and serving others. Self doesn't really get a look in. One of my pet hates is a phrase that's become popular recently called, you do you, hun. And my daughter loves to kind of use that phrase on me. It's the kind of language that's used so well, you do whatever you want to do. You be you, don't you worry about the world. You just do whatever you feel you're comfortable doing. And that kind of idea is almost like whatever you do, as long as it's for yourself and for your own benefit, the rest of the world just doesn't matter. How you behave, how you treat other people, as long as you're okay, that's the main thing. And that's self-centeredness. It's about giving people permission to be fully yourself and doesn't matter how it affects other people. But the Christian message is about others first. When we start straying towards human thinking, we start straying away from God thinking, about God-centered thinking. It may sound plausible, but Jesus speaks to us of a much better way than that. In Matthew 11, he says these famous words, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Here's a thought for you. Jesus, when those spoke those famous words, he didn't say to them, I won't give you a yoke. I won't give you a burden. You can just do you, hun. You can do whatever you want. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take away all your burdens or take away all your responsibilities and take away all your, your pressures. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he came with gentleness and with humility. He said, I'm going to be a different type of leader. I'm going to show you how to work by coming alongside you. But there's still a burden. There is still a responsibility. There is still a yoke to play our part in this great story of God. It's never me first, then others. It's always God first, then others, and ourselves last. That great command we've mentioned on num- numerous times, I'm sure, to love the Lord your God and, and then to love others as we love ourselves. That's it, loving God and to love others. That's what we're called to do. So let's not worry about human thinking. Let's stay focused on Christ himself. Verse 11, let's crack on with this then. It says these words, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your spiritual, so your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, I know that whenever I mention the word circumcision, Uh, all all the the men who are watching or listening will squeal a bit and cross their legs. I I get that. But this is not physical circumcision. This is about spiritual. The the original intention of circumcision, we won't go into too much detail, don't worry, uh, but it was ordained by God through Abraham as a way of marking 
the Jewish descendants, I mean, literally, physically marking and making it clear they were different to other people. They were following God's way. They were walking his way. It was a sign of belonging. It was about being part of a family. And this is the same here that Paul, the writer, is saying, when you get uh, saved, when you choose to get baptised, you are being becoming part of a family. The day you follow Jesus, your sinful nature is cut away. You have changed. You're being marked. You belong to the body of Christ. You operate differently when you get baptised. And that's why baptism is so important. If you've not been baptised before, I encourage you to get baptised. It is a moment in your life and there is a spiritual moment taking place where the sinful nature is lifted off like you've died to yourself. You've died to your old ways of doing things. You've died with Christ and you come alive with him in the same power, that mighty power of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. You're you're spiritually circumcised. You're spiritually marked. You're spiritually noted that you are different to other people. You literally walk differently when you've been spiritually circumcised by God himself. And carrying on there in verse 13, he talks about how we used to be. We used to be dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Wow. You you were dead because of your behaviours, because of your sins, because of your nature. But then God has made you alive in Christ. You were nothing and now you are everything. And it's more than that. You're you're free. You're free. You're not just, I was dead, now I'm alive. But you're fully alive. You're living life to the full. And it says here in these these words, he's cancelled the record of the charges against you. Wow. This is more than just cancelling our library book that we forgot to take back and someone's paid the charge. This is more than uh, somebody paying for your speeding ticket or your parking ticket. This is cancelling the record. This is saying, I've gone back through all your history and I've deleted every single thing you've ever done wrong. I've deleted it and I've removed it. There is no record of the charges against you. Wow, this is a great deal. This is not just a freedom, but this is a freedom with a free history. Your history has been wiped clean. And and, and here's the important thing Paul's saying. It, It takes all the power away from the devil. It disarms the devil. Because all the time the devil can whisper in your ear and say, remember the time you did that? Remember the time you said that? Remember the time you behaved that way? And you can go, well, you might remember devil, but God's forgotten it all. God cancelled out the record of all the things I'd ever done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong, behaved badly, and they've all been removed. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west, and it's been been taken away forever. And so it disarms the devil because he's got got nothing to play with. He's trying to whisper these, these temptations in your ear. He's trying to whisper guilt over you. He's trying to force you to persuade you to think differently. You go, you know what? You can talk all you like, but my history has been wiped clean. That is an incredible offer. And the devil has been permanently shamed by the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus has had the last say. 
And the devil is desperately trying to persuade the followers of Jesus. They've made a mistake. They've got it wrong. The world's way is better. That the God's way of doing things is rules and regulations. And, and, and you know what? You don't have to believe that. It's not how it is. And then here we go in verse 16, bringing things towards the end. He says these words. So don't let anyone condemn you. Don't receive any condemnation for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Paul is writing here to a time where he understands the, the people who are reading this letter, he gets their circumstances. He's going, I know you're facing difficult times. He's saying, I know you're under pressure. I know you're facing challenges. He recognises all the things they're facing. It was quite common at that time in this part of the world. There were options available to them. They had the, the mystical polytheism option, which was multiple gods. Poly meaning many theism, uh, the study of God, and the idea that you could actually worship many gods. There would be the Apollo, the god of music, Hermes, the god of money, or Apollos, uh, sorry, of Aphrodite, sorry, the god of sex, or, and maybe some of them just saw Jesus as another god to join the kind of pantheon of gods. You could just worship those gods. That was an option available to the people who were reading this letter. Or, or there was some confusion because maybe they should be following the way of the Torah, of the, the, the way that the historical Jewish laws from the first five books of the Old Testament, that they should have a special diet and not eat certain meats, that they should observe special days, sacred days, and of course, circumcision. We're back to that again, physical circumcision. So maybe those laws, so we've got polytheism, we've got this uh, traditional uh, Jewish culture that many of them would have experienced growing up, and, and then that in occupied Roman Empire times, and so you've also got the pressure of the Roman Empire, of Caesar being Lord, of Caesar, Lord, that word Lord would mean master or sovereign one. But the idea was that Caesar was Lord and, and there'd be statues all around the town reminding you of that. Um, the coin in your purse would have had his face on the front of the coin and uh, it would have been challenging times. Who would you worship in that context? The, the many-headed God, the, the empire God or Jesus of Nazareth? who died and some would say rose again. This would create great conflict. And Paul was saying, I understand the challenges you're facing. He would know it was dangerous to go with an alternative view from the one that your neighbours and your community would go with. They lived in a community that was very much in each other's pockets. They weren't separate homes. People would be aware of everyone's activities. And if your neighbour didn't worship the same God as you, you would probably blame them every time there was an earthquake or the harvest wasn't very good, or there was downpour and flooding, you'd probably go gather all your neighbours and say, let's get that one, because that person doesn't follow the gods that we all bring our worship and our sacrifices to. It was a dangerous time to choose the way, or to choose to follow Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying here, that don't give in to those views. They are opposite to the ways of Jesus, whether it be religion, i.e. law, or secularism, just to do what feels good. He's saying, no, there's more to that. Jesus himself fulfills the law 
of the Torah through his death. Jesus completes the law. He doesn't replace it. He completes it. He is the Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. And he calls us to live differently because we are truly free people. And he finishes with these words in verse 20. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. He set you free. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Jesus came to break man-made rules, religion. He came to show us the way of life that is eternal and to fulfill the law of God that created in the time of Moses. These rules are mere human teachings, human thinking about things that will fade. We need to give our attention to things that are eternal, living God's way, living for him, revealing him to others. If I can say one thing to dad, I want to say don't follow human roles. Follow Jesus. Live his way in relationship with him. But don't just live the Jesus way without him. And I think some of us as Christians, we're guilty of living by Jesus' rules without a Jesus relationship. We need to do more than just human efforts. Human efforts create human and temporary rewards. But living Jesus' way with a Jesus relationship well, that gets eternal life, full and free. So as we wrap up today, what can we learn from Colossians 2? I've mentioned some things already. But although we live in complex times that can be so seductive and compelling, we need to remain Jesus-centred. Here are three thoughts for us for today. Number one, we must get rooted into Jesus to build firm foundations, to create spiritual habits and practices that are rooted into Jesus. For secondly, to not be distracted by worldly desires or selfish desires, to, to, to recognise the spiritual powers, the complex man-made marketing systems that are attractive to us. They're not always of God. To not get distracted, not turn to left or right, but to keep our gaze fully on Jesus. And thirdly, to live the Jesus way with the Jesus relationship. To live not just by the rules, but by the friendship with Jesus himself. You are made out, you are marked, you are shaped to live differently as a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for us as we bring this to an end. Thank you, Jesus that all the treasures of divine wisdom and insight and knowledge into the ways and purposes of God are stored up and hidden in you. Please, God, I ask you, would you reveal those treasures to each one of us right now? I also pray that the roots of our very being are firmly and deeply planted into Christ, that we would continually build into him and be built up by him, that we'd be increasingly established in our faith. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us once again.
For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.